Welcome to the Activist Insight podcast, Beyond the Boardroom, a supplement to our monthly podcast, which takes you through the top shareholder activism and voting stories, as told by our two magazines, Activist Insight Monthly and Proxy Monthly. For Beyond the Boardroom, we discuss shareholder activism with some of the industry's top experts. I'm Kieran Paul, and today we are joined by Gabriel Grego, Chief Investment Officer and Managing Partner of Quintessential Capital Management. Welcome to the show, Gabriel. Thank you very much for having me. So could you start by explaining why you established Quintessential and describe your investment strategy? I started Quintessential after having started a small asset management company for a few years that was focused mostly on value investing. At the time, I still do. I like very much stock picking. So uh, it started as a shop to basically manage money, mostly for high net worth individuals. And when we reached a critical size, we turned what used to be an individually managed account business into a proper fund. And over time, the strategy developed from a long-only value-based fund to what it's mostly today, essentially a blend of value investing, growth at reasonable price, short activism and long activism. And of course, each one of those four strategies can be examined with more granularity. Now, in a recent in-depth article by Insight's Eleanor O'Donnell, you said short selling is like a knife. You can use it to stab someone or you can use it to perform heart surgery. Mm-hmm. So as well as being one of my favourite quotes this year, it also very much intrigues me. So can you explain what you mean by that? Short selling, and I'm talking about activist short selling, is a very powerful tool. It's a tool that can exert some change to the company that is being a target of this activity. Whether it's a good activity for the market, for the community, for corporate world in general, whether it's a bad activity depends on the intention and on what is the target. So if you are targeting, for example, like we try to do, like many of our colleagues try to do, target strictly unethical fraudulent and criminal companies, which are basically ruining the party for everybody, diminishing the trust in the system, preying on the, on the naive and the weak. Then actively short selling, which is the way we do it, trying to bring transparency and accountability to what's happening, may be a very good activity because the ultimate result is that it removes the bad apples from the baskets, so those fraudulent companies, and it creates a deterrent for other companies not to engage in the same path. So it can be a very good activity. On the other hand, there are some people that use activist short selling in an unethical way where they're targeting companies which are not necessarily criminal or fraudulent. And they, you know, they try to damage them for the short term just to make a quick buck. And obviously, these people make a great disservice to our profession. So that's the same way. You can use a knife to perform heart surgery, life-saving heart surgery, or you can use it to stab somebody. We like to think that we try to be like heart surgeons. And to be clear, are you only looking for stocks that could go to zero? Well, either zero or we're looking for a massive catastrophic stock price collapse. doesn't have to necessarily be zero. But to reach the level of confidence that we require usually takes a due diligence that may take easily more than three, four months. And also these activities can be risky from a legal perspective, for example, and there are also other risks. So taking into account the risk and the amount of energy and time invested, then obviously it's not worthwhile to do it if we expect only a modest gain. So we're looking for massive gains. If the stock goes to zero, as it did many times, that's great. 
but also we would be happy to do another campaign where the target may be a 50 or 60% stock price collapse. Even though it's not a zero, it would definitely be satisfactory under certain circumstances. How do you then decide whether to cover a short position if it hasn't collapsed by your target date? Like with any position, if the initial thesis turns out to be incorrect, or for example, once all of the important information that we uncovered is now available to the market, and we believe the market has had a chance to review it and to digest it and to draw the conclusion that at this point, we no longer have an edge. The whole point of the edge is to bring transparency into the market and bring in some new information in. The moment that information has been widely disseminated and understood, then there is no longer an edge. If the stock price doesn't move at that point, then uh, it's probably time to start folding. Unless we have other cards left to play, which we usually do. We try not to publish everything immediately. Usually we leave some information for day two or day three or day four, especially if management denies delegations. But if all the information is out and there is no price reaction, then that's the time to move. So as well as having a timetable of release, is there a particular time of day or day itself to publish a short report? How key is timing? Well, it, it depends on the specific circumstances. I would say that normally the best outcome is probably to give a chance to everybody to read their, your report and understand it and, and digest it. So I guess it's usually it's better to publish when the market is closed. It's also more ethical because you don't take advantage of panics. So I would say anywhere from the, even in before market day trading uh, or maybe one or two hours before opening could be a good time. Those things are only important if your thesis is not devastating. If the thesis is devastating, you can publish anytime, any day, and the end result is going to be the same. And of course, this year has been notable for a couple of financial crazes. Firstly, the proliferation of special purpose acquisition companies or, or SPACs. And secondly, the short squeeze we all followed at GameStop, which was fueled by retail investors. But how much did these impact on short sellers? And if so, which one is more concerning? They're both very interesting phenomena. I would say the SPAC provide a large source of investment ideas for us, if we can call these ideas <laughs> or investments. And so definitely it's a positive development for us. It's a bad development for the market. It's the usual trick that the street has of selling low quality, bloated assets to naive investors. And therefore, it's a good opportunity for us to step in and bring some transparency. Many of, of my colleagues have already acted against some SPACs with good success overall. As far as the GameStop is the other way around, maybe that's a negative development. In other words, it showed additional element of risk, which is the possibility of uh, well-coordinated retail investors that act in a predatory way against short sellers pile in on stocks have a high short interest there just for the purpose of seemingly purpose of not so much on making money, but on creating a short squeeze and hurting the short seller. So obviously that's a negative development because it, it introduces one more risk that needs to be taken into account and, and managed. And there are ways to manage, which I think any wise short seller should employ. And we'll hear more from Gabriel after this quick break. Did you know you can sign up for a free trial of Activist Insight Vulnerability on our website? Activist Insight Vulnerability includes weekly analysis produced by our team of expert journalists on companies that may be targeted by activists and allows you to screen companies by key balance sheet, cash flow and income statement ratios, as well as votes for and against management. Request a 30-minute demo now 
of all of our products, which also include Activist Insight Online, Activist Insight Governance and Activist Insight Shorts, by visiting our website. And because you're active all over the world, how concerned as well are you about regulatory intervention or rule changes to hinder short sellers? And then are there any markets in particular that you would choose to avoid? I think the the correct way to approach activist short selling is kind of like initiating a military campaign. When you initiate a military campaign, you need to take into account your troops, the enemies, and the environment where you think you want to do a battle and the timing, of course. And it's the same thing for us. So the regulatory environment is an important part of the environment, and it would be foolish not to take it into account. The idea is to understand that the regulatory changes from country to country, from area to area. Yes, definitely decisions on whether to go or not go must take into account the regulatory environment. And in some cases, in many cases, it changes the way in which you want to go. So there are certain places where yeah, we would be very careful. I would say there is not one place that I can think where regulatory barriers are so high that we wouldn't do anything. Until recently, Germany got close to that. It was a very hostile place. But after the blow up of Warcard, I think it became open hunting. Everybody saw, including the German people, the foolishness of having that punitive approach against short sellers and against whistleblowers in general. So in general, in Europe, the environment has been a little more adversarial. Uh, we ourselves were involved in Bayon, which was an Italian company. And there was a bit of a question mark because nobody had ever operated in Italy before. And we decided to do it. We took a lot of action to try and mitigate the unknown regulatory risk. And the campaign was successful, but there was a very strong reaction from the regulatory bodies and even from the judiciary, which fortunately it affected ultimately the company rather than us. You know, it shows that you need to be very careful because it becomes criminal very quickly. And you want to make sure that the party that gets, you know, the heavy hand of the judiciary is our target and not us. But so I would say that any good seller should study very well the regulatory environment the law changes from country to country, for example. Certain places like the United States so far have been very favorable to what we do. But yeah, it's definitely something you need to take into account. But it shouldn't stop you. Besides your returns, what is the proudest achievement, would you say, of one of your short reports? Uh, I would say Penombra maybe made us very proud just because besides making a little bit of money, our campaign had the direct result of removing a deadly product from the market, forcing a multi-billion dollar company to recall a product. I'm very happy about just the thought that as a result of our action, probably, actually, certainly some people are alive today because they're using other products and otherwise they'd be dead. So I would say that makes me very proud. But all of them, in their little way, make me very happy and proud. We put some fraudsters in jails, which is great. We damaged a lot other frauds. And in general, I think what we do brings for fraudsters and criminals one more level of risk. They know that not only the regulator doesn't need to watch out, it's also us. That's a small way of trying to make our world a better place. And your last short campaign was back in December 2020. But you often do just one or two campaigns a year. So what are you working on now? One very interesting campaign in Europe, which is, seems to be a, a fraud. Uh, and we are in the middle of the due diligence. And so far, it promises very well. And then there is another couple of campaigns, one in the States, another one in Europe, which are slightly earlier stages. But I would say that we changed a little bit the way we did business in 2020 and the first half of 2021 because of COVID. A lot of the due diligence activity that we normally engage in involves a lot of traveling and meeting people. And, and obviously, all the travel restrictions, which were caused by the COVID pandemic, made that part 
difficult, if not impossible. So we focused on selected opportunities where field due diligence wasn't such an integral part of the whole campaign and of the whole information uh, as it was in the past. Obviously, that worked out because we had a good 2020. What we like to do best are campaigns which do involve a lot of travel and field due diligence, and that's what we're planning to do in the second half of 2021. And something that not a lot of people would know about Quintessential is that you've done some activism on the long side at Allegan. Is that something you would consider doing more of? Yeah, we did a few others, uh, Aaron and Allergan. Also, we were involved in Sound Corporation, which is this Japanese company, which is now spinning off on NASDAQ, a business called Cellbrite. And yeah, both of those campaigns were highly successful and definitely remunerative from a financial perspective, but they were also fun. Unlike the short activist campaign, they don't have all the backlash that you usually get when you're doing short activism. One more thing, they're usually more scalable. It's a strategy that can be used with much larger volumes of money than short activism, because usually you have the, you know, the problem of borrowing stock, which is a scarce commodity, basically. And also, there is a general tendency of fraudulent criminal companies to become uh, less prevalent in larger market caps. It's kind of like an earthquake. You have very tiny earthquakes all the time you know, mid-power earthquakes every once in a while and major earthquakes, they're very rare. It's the same with companies. Sometimes you do have a fraud that has several dozens of market cap, in, you know, many, many billion, like Barker, for example, or Enron back then, but those things are pretty rare. Whereas like smaller companies, which are frauds, are more ubiquitous. But with long activism, you don't have that problem. There is always something to do even with large companies. So definitely it's a strategy that we think it's fun and we'd love to get more involved in the future. And you touched on military campaigns earlier. Uh, I just wanted to know how your experiences as a paratrooper have impacted your short selling and what lessons could be taken into it. I think a smart approach to risk management. And it's the idea that most of the risk can be mitigated to a very substantial amount if you're just very diligent and careful of doing a lot of thinking and planning. That doesn't only mean that you can do something in a safer way, but it also means you can dare a lot more. Because something that could be completely reckless, done without planning and without careful gathering of information and thinking out of the box, can actually become quite safe if done in a different way. And therefore, you can dare very, very difficult and risky things to do without taking so much risk. That I learned from the military, you know, the importance of having a lot of planning, for example. The military is about confrontation and fighting as well. And, and we're fighting. At the end of the day, these are... These companies don't want to get brought down. The management doesn't want to go to jail, so they fight. It can be psychologically, emotionally very taxing and very tiring to get involved in this drawn-out activist campaigns. And experience like the military can actually help you out on the psychological side. At the end of the day, is you're not risking the same thing. You know, when you're in the military and you're fighting, you're risking your life. Your worst-case scenario, you lose some money pretty much and, or maybe a lawsuit. So it's easier to do from a psychological perspective. And again, talking of lessons, is there any advice you would now give to a new short seller? Yeah, I would say in general, if anybody that's listening to this find themselves on the long side of our short activist target, I would say that what would help is a good amount of realism and the understanding that it is very dangerous and reckless to attack company and, and call it a fraud, blaming it on all sort of wrongdoings, unless you're really being careful about what you're saying, unless you really have a strong basis and a strong reason to believe that you're right. I think very often the uh, 
immediate approach, immediate reaction of especially retail investors to our, our campaigns are, oh, okay, we have a conflict of interest and therefore I think we say it is baseless. That's a very, very, very short-sighted way to look at the situation. Uh, my suggestion is to look at the evidence. We always publish thesis and reports which are based on information that can usually be replicated by any uh, enterprising reader. So I would say read the entire report. If there are any parts that you're not sure about, try to replicate the information, try to look for it independently, and, and you'll see that there are very good reasons why. So I think that's something important. That's it for today's episode. Remember, you can subscribe to our magazines, Activist Insight Monthly and Proxy Monthly, by emailing subscriptions at insightia.com. And if you enjoyed this episode of Beyond the Boardroom, check out our back catalogue where you'll find a plethora of discussions with industry experts. And there's also a handy Best of 2020 episode for your convenience. And of course, if you want something discussed on a future episode, all you've got to do is put it in an email to press at insightia.com. And on Twitter, join the conversation by using the hashtag ActivistInsightPodcast. Lastly from me, please do rate and review the podcast on whatever platform you are using so that others like you can access our reporting. I'm Kieran Paul. Thank you for listening.